Today's deep dive into Watchmen is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today. All month long, you know it, Disney Plus sale. Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars, 20% off. Use code Disney Plus. Also, now, from November 7th to the 11th, Ox and Bull, 20% off. Use code SHOP EARLY. Shop early, baby. You got it. 20% off Oxen Bull. Awesome stuff. That's wearable art. Coming up from the 15th to the 17th of November, free shipping weekend. Use code free ship. And don't forget, all month. Again, Disney, baby. Disney Plus. Use code Disney Plus, Disney Marvel, and Star Wars 20% off. And if you go to cufflinks.com slash DVR, the codes are right there. They tell you what they are. Cufflinks wants you to save. They want you to shop. Get awesome stuff at cufflinks.com. Christmas is coming up. Thanksgiving. Maybe you're going to some nice event on Thanksgiving. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Get some cufflinks. Get a tie. Get some socks. Get a tie clip. You know what to do. Cufflinks.com. Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Watchmen. My name is Axel and my co-host today and every Friday is Roberto Suarez. Hello, Roberto. Hello. You're back from San Francisco. Back from San Francisco, back from a long day of work and looking forward to chatting Watchmen. Yeah, baby. All right. Well, today we will be doing that. We're going to dive deep into and we're also going to read some feedback about Watchmen Season 1, Episode 3, She Was Killed by Space Junk, of course, written by Damon and Lila Bayak and directed by Stephen Williams. Just want to give another thanks to Chorizo Slim for our awesome theme music, Full Color. Please check out the show notes and why not buy his album? Also, hey, thanks. We got like three or four more reviews on Apple Podcasts, but if you are a listener, Give us a review. Scroll down. It really does help. We really do appreciate it. Let's more people know about us. And uh, speaking of that, we have a new logo by Reddy, who does uh, Another Week with DJ Tim Hines, one of our podcasts on the network. That is an awesome logo. So thank you very much, Reddy. All right. That's all I got. Let's get into it. What did you think of this episode? Uh, well, uh, one of the things that I wanted to kind of touch upon, I know that you guys already did more of a episode breakdown. So I just want to have a couple, a, a few kind of main bullet points that I wanted to go over things that kind of stood out for me. Um, but you had something you wanted to share at first regarding kind of breaking down the main mystery of the series. Did you, did you want to chime in with that first? Yeah, let's, I mean, yeah, I figure we might kind of start before we get into, there's so much themes and emotions and this was a, this was actually a pretty heavy episode, right? Very different format from the previous two yeah. I found. It was the first time that we didn't focus on our main characters. It was also the first time where we didn't have kind of some historical context uh, like we did with the, the first two episodes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so it was a little bit different, although I, I guess we did get a little bit of history by by exploring, you know, where, where Julie um, Blake has been uh, – you know, during this time, but it was uh, kind of a a very different format for this episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I was thinking just as you were saying, (laughs) I was thinking we had the same thought, as you said, the history, I was thinking, well, like Lori's history and what she's been through is like, we had these real history things 
And now we have something where it's dealing with the the in-universe history Correct. and the shadow that casts on our story. Um, but I, yeah, I wanted to kind of just talk about the detective story mm-hmm. and see where we stand. We learn new things in this episode, of course. Um, but we have a, a main story and I want to kind of see where you're at with it. Uh, and I thought it would just be fun to kind of talk it out myself. Um, yeah, sure. So the, our main like mystery that we need to solve is who killed Judd, right? That's the main mystery kind of driving the narrative in, in much the same way that the comedian's death was the main mystery driving the narrative of the book. Exactly. So now we're Rorschach on the trail. <laughs> okay? We're trying to right. figure it out. Right. So what do we know about Judd? We know that he was uh, the kind of savior after the White Knight. He stood tall and didn't wear a mask, only his hat, while all the other uh, police officers who returned, like some of them, like Angela and others who I guess joined, took up these masks that were actually an idea of Keen. Correct. This was all so. So one of the things we learn in this episode is that the whole t- kind of Tulsa situation is is a unique situation. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of experiment in criminal justice or law enforcement administration, and that Senator Keene and force people like Judd have been kind of key players in making this, uh, you know, this experiment happen. Yes. Definitely. And uh, one of the important parts that we also learn about Keene, who has enacted this, though Judd did not wear the mask, is that Judd's wife is the is his uh, southern coordinator for his presidential campaign. I think that's the word that they use Um, and also was somehow involved in his campaign. in his campaign or his administration as a senator in the past. And I think that's something that came from the PDPedia documents. That well, it's mentioned had, in the, had involvement. Yeah. It's mentioned in the show as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, because when Angela, when uh, Lori and Keen meet in her apartment, she asked, do you know him? And he says, well, vaguely, we also know from the PDPedia that Judd's father or grandfather was in communication and in cahoots and that uh, that painting was actually a gift from Keen to Judd's dad. So there's a further connection there. We also yep. have the connection that Judd's dad may have been a Klansman. We find the uh, Angela finds the robes hidden in the cabinet as you stated to a comedian kind of uh callback. Um yep. And we see the picture and also from the first episode, I think that was him that goes past uh, Will and his family with a shotgun and in a hood. Um, We also know that when Judd was called out, um, when the police officer regained consciousness, just that when he was kidnapped, he tells his wife he's going to bring some cops with him, but he doesn't. So there is some mystery surrounding those circumstances. Um, we know right. that. Oh, go ahead. It's it's almost like there's a missing scene, like from the moment that he is called to the moment, you know, and and he tells 
his wife to the moment that we see him driving. Like we we did not expect to see him going by himself. So yes. something happened there that that either he had to make a choice or something some intervention happened where he was off to do something that was not exactly what he had said we was going to do, which is to go uh, and meet up with that police officer who had recovered in the hospital. Yes. So this is some more clues we have. Uh, as far as his death goes, we know that he's found hanging in a tree. We find out that there was not a toxicology report, but there was an autopsy. This is what Looking Glass tells Lori inside the pod. Right. Um, I am not so sure that his body was even in the coffin because you don't really see any body parts. We don't see any. Yeah, we were. I would have expected to have seen. I mean, unless the body had been. Uh, you know, prepared for interment, and somehow that would have mm. kept right. Sometimes know, they don't bury the bot. You're right. That's sometimes yeah. ceremonial. Sometimes it's ceremonial, and then sometimes too. It, it, I don't. I don't know if 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 a body would react differently if it were a body that's been prepared for burial as opposed True. to a you know just a just a normal yeah you're body right because all blood the blood sucked out stuff yes. you know but norm, normally yeah. this body would have been prepared for burial so I don't know if we we would like I wouldn't have expected to see blood if it was a body prepared for burial right so yeah. it would have been whatever embalming fluids are used uh, or something like that but yeah. Um, it's very possible. The whole the whole thing, you know, the whole the whole thing with Judd's funeral makes me question uh, this this relationship between Keenan the Judds and whether or not mm-hmm. this is some kind of a setup or a hoax uh, that this was all set up, you know, and framed uh, with the Seventh uh, Cavalry to help Judd politically. And I'm even I'm even questioning Julie's involvement in it to to some extent. Oh, you're saying you uh her name it's Lori. Sorry, Lori. I yeah. keep calling her Julie. That's okay. I don't know why I, I don't know why <laughs> I, I think it's because the last name is Juspesix and yes. I, I somehow get the G, the J's yeah. mixed up. That's such but a great Lori's, last name. Lori's involvement um uh you know she, she gets somewhat coerced to participate uh in this because uh, Keen makes an uh, uh an allusion to uh, uh, Dan Dreberg being in in jail, and that perhaps her cooperation could help with that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and then you know when she when she shoots the Seventh Cavalry man, and then she later says something you know like, "Oh, I I, I thought he was bluffing." Yeah. Um, but did was this actually set up uh, to to happen this way? I mean, you would think. Uh, the 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 keen part of it seems pretty obvious that he's somehow trying to manipulate the media or use this to to kind of set himself up in some way um, to get uh, to get some political points. But I'm, I don't know what Laurie's uh, uh, part is yet to be done here. And with everybody else, you know, I we feel like there was some. Something going on behind Judd, behind the scenes that we're not aware of. I'm really curious as to why Angela feels this need to protect Judd. Uh, we find out that she has uh, hidden the robes that uh, that Lori, uh, you know, questions that. And now we're wondering, you know, was Lori somehow uh, being manipulated behind the scenes or is doing something, you know, behind the scenes as well? And all of these things, things seem to to center around Senator Keene. Yeah, Roberto, I love it. We're on the case. This is great. So 
I love that you brought it to this area. Well, and the one thing we should address at, uh, later, because I still want to talk about Keenan's whole how Will claiming that he did it and all that. But the death of Judd, the re- what Keen says to Lori is, that I need you to investigate this, find out who killed this sheriff. She says, oh, is this going to mess up your campaign? And he says, if if the, the he doesn't think, they don't think that the 7th Calvary, he says to her, the 7th Calvary claims when they do things. Exactly. Right? Yep, but then that, later – They have not taken responsibility for it yes, this time around. And, yep. and he says we have to get to – it could be another masked – a vigilante or something like that. But she says, if he, well, his death is screwing up your campaign. And it made me think, why would Judd's, why would the uh, Calvary killing Judd mess up his campaign and uh, mess up the larger idea, his whole campaign is now predicated on masking the police. That's basically right. like what he's running on. Right. Why would Judd dying and being killed by the Calvary go against that? It would seem to solidify the need for masking the police. This is the part I, I that the I want to kind I, of talk out. I guess out. the only thing I can think of is that the re- the cavalry returning shows that whatever it's not working. Whatever this plan is, uh, okay. supported by Keen, is not being effective. Okay. See, that's what I. That's always like it's how you spin it, right? Right. Sure, <laughs> it's a spin, right? Because you could make the argument. Oh, look, yeah. it has worked so far, right? It has been successful. We were successful in making the cavalry uh, uh, go underground before, you know, the, this is, this is a, we it know from episode one years. that this was kind of an yeah. unexpected return. Okay. That's the but point. Right. This is now basically showing, well, all that progress that was made over the last three years, it looks like, uh, like it's not as successful as you thought it was. Okay. Thank you. That now I understand how, because I could see another way, which is that it necess- it calls more for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're back, you know? Right. Like he could turn around at the next press conference and say, well, at first, but now I realize that we need them more than ever, you know? But Now, what's interesting too is, you know, we had assumed based on the first episode, first couple of episodes before we knew much about Keen, that everything we were seeing was the result of, of Redford's presidency, but right. it looks like this is a mixture of things, right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not clear to me. Obviously, Senator Keene is behind the law enforcement initiatives. But is he behind the the uh, this whole thing about guns not being dispatched, you know, unless you get permission from uh, a superior officer to release uh, an officer's gun? Or is he, you know, what, what is Senator Keene's... Uh, feelings behind re- the the reparation. I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Like oh, it's like there's a mixture. Okay, uh, there's yeah. a mixture of things here. Uh, whereas uh, at first we had kind of assumed that this was all kind of based on what was going on under Redford, but it seems like the masking, at least a component that has to do with masking uh, policemen, is more of a Senator Keen supported yes. thing. Whereas it doesn't, you know, and and I know we heard it in a 
in a radio discussion in one of the first episodes too, you know, people saying that they wanted Keen because, uh, you know, we now have, uh, uh, you know, long periods of waiting for guns and we have well, lands that cannot be exploited uh, yeah. uh, under Redford. Uh, so, well, so I maybe, got a little. Oh, I'm sorry. I got a little bit of background on that. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, I guess what what I just wanted to. It's like I'm wondering if this is a way for Keen to kind of. This is a testing ground for him to show kind of what he would bring. And so, uh, the from from the perspective from a political perspective, we would I would assume that Redford would not be in favor of these types of changes. Yeah. And if yeah. so, uh, then this is what's being used to kind of drive some kind of a political wedge there. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think that Keene is in favor of masking the police, but I don't believe he's in favor of the pullback on the guns. Pullback on and, the guns. Yeah. And the yeah. rollback also – on the way police officers act now, which is to regularly torture people, it seems, which is condoned by Judd and Angela does it. I feel like Keen and one of the reasons why there's no guns allowed into the funeral and then Keen is taking taken hostage is so right. he can say if the cops had gun, if it wasn't for the right. one cop who snuck her gun in there, right. right, the FBI agent, the cops should have guns. So what he wants is a militarized police force that wears masks and uses certain costumed vigilantes. Yeah, because and, I, and you and uses methods that would be considered yes. unethical or immoral, but would be comedian-like methods. Comedian-like, yeah, 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 and like what the comedian and Doctor Manhattan did. So it's almost like, like we were talking about, like taking what his father kind of outlawed everyone except the ones he could use, right? Mm -hmm. The government and doing right. that on even a local basis. Yeah. Which is interesting because it speaks to the militarization of police, yes. right? How we, we have after 9-11. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like taking what we learned from the at the military level and implementing it at the local uh, police jurisdiction level. Okay. So this is interesting. So now we see why Judd's death is important. And it makes me think of the idea um, that you were talking about is Laurie involved? What's the deal with the Calvary? Is it beneficial for if this whole thing is a setup, how does it benefit Keen? And if in fact the Calvary did not kill Judd, that it's only made to look like, like the, like he actually, Judd, um, I'm going on, I'll say either Judd was sac sacrifice himself or in, in collusion with Will or someone else mm. took Judd and killed him and put him there in order to cause this stir and make it look like the Calvary was so rising up again when maybe they weren't rising up. It was maybe just that Judd kind of picked up on stuff that was going on underneath and exposed it, that whole raid that went on and how yeah. he was the one who pushed them, take the guns, you know, after that shooting happened. Right. Yeah. Um, and kind of push was pushing it, which you think that Keen would not want. It's almost like, okay, 
the, if Keen is in cahoots with the cavalry, he's saying to them, do a little so you're still there, but not so much that it makes it look like my cops aren't winning. Right. You know? So yep. this, it, this, this whole show that he puts on at Judd's funeral is a way to kind of restabilize like, okay, if they blamed it on them and your dumb guy shot up a cop, right? Then at least you've got to, we've got to do this next move. So I can at least kind of do a chess piece back towards a reason to uh, kind of get a political push from this because Judd's death is hurting me and perhaps causing more interest in what the hell the cavalry is doing. Right. Which uh, is maybe kind of laying in wait for some reason. Yeah. And, and maybe, I mean, maybe he's what, what he's figuring is I may not know if the cavalry was truly behind Judd's death, but I'm going to turn this into an opportunity mm. to, to use it as a way to, you know, aggrandize myself. Right. So even though they may not have been, behind true we don't know that that guy was yeah let's work in kind of creating you know since people now think that they are back let's go go ahead and use this in a way to further push my agenda so maybe staging that uh kidnapping attempt was the way to do it interesting okay that's okay now the will factor where will says to angela i strung him up i don't think he says i killed him he says i strung him up Mm-hmm. And the in the mysterious way, the long shots of Judd getting dressed, not taking the cops with him, the weird way that he talked to his wife, the tick-tock, tick-tock that he said to Angela, um, the doing the coke. I, I, I'm just finding some clues that are suspicious that he either knew something was going to happen or I'm kind of working on that idea that the, the in the comic – we had Ozymandias creating this big like massacre to stop a war, right? Right. And maybe is Judd in a sense this this mystery here of why Judd died is he he did it to start a war to expose what was going on. Yeah, I mean to, may, to prevent maybe, a massacre. Maybe the greater hoax here is that Judd isn't really dead. It may be made all that could be true too. It may all be some kind of a staging and especially with the stuff uh, that was revealed about the body not being properly Mm, examined and stuff. Maybe, maybe the bigger cover up here is that this is all some kind of a way to, uh, Ruse them out, just like the robbery in the beginning of the episode. Out. Exactly, like Lori, and that would be a kind of a, a, a parallel there that Lori oh. pulled that off to capture that uh, that Batman sh- shadow dude. Uh, maybe, maybe this is the way that he's hoping to root out whatever, he, whatever he's yes. uh, you know they're trying to work on, or or whatever, whether it is uh, to expose a problem or whether it is to help Keen, we don't know, but it could all be part of a grander conspiracy. And, and maybe that was a clone body. There you go. That will and whoever took him up in the, you know, flying machine, the magnet was 
got or something. Will obviously has some kind of pills, powers, something's going on, or he's hooded justice and is connected in some way to maybe Night Owl One is back alive. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. you know, the original, original Night Owl who was black too, right? Um, the whole crew. Um, that, that could, that's interesting. Okay. I like this. Oh, yeah. And that, that, and he is kind of, his death fleshes him out. Yeah. Exposes it. And it also exposes Keen, but also there's a sadness because it would also expose perhaps his own wife. And why, and what does, and why is Angela so protective as well? That's another piece that I think is really yeah. interesting. What else does she know? Because we didn't get a lot of insight. This episode was really Angela's in a couple scenes, but only really right. in, in respect to Lori. Right. Not right. herself. So I mean, it was we, interesting. We do, we do find out that she took the, the clan outfit, uh, which I don't think was clear from before. So. Um, so she is trying to, at least in her own way, kind of protect Judd's reputation, at least until she has more information about what's going on. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. That was great. Cause cool. I think that there's so much craziness that I kind of was like this episode, I'm kind of like trying, I was rewatching it just before we started again. And I was like, okay, what is really happening here? If I just take away, if this was like the wire or something, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just a detective or What's going on here? And I think that we, I think we have good, I think we covered it there. And I think there is a possibility. And also there is a great possibility when it comes to Will and also what we don't know about the Calvary and this Lady True or Ozymandias or Dr. Man, there could also be a whole nother factor that we just don't even know about. Sure. Yeah, and we're gonna get to learn a little bit about True next week because they, she appears in in the trailer for ne- next week's episode. Yes, which at the end of the episode we'll talk about the trailer. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so anyway, I, I I think you know this episode really became more of a character study, kind of getting us caught up with where Lori was, um, and the the pieces that are you know particularly interesting for me with Lori is that. She has this internalized hatred towards anything to do with superheroes. Uh, you know, she's it's kind of like like her her persona has flipped. Whereas in the Watchmen comic book, she had a hard time accepting being the daughter of the comedian, and she was a masked vigilante herself. Now she has accepted her uh, relationship or her, her familial connection to the comedian by taking on the last name Blake. And she is now in the business of like discrediting, not, not just stopping vigilantes, but really discrediting um, the, the work that they do. But there is an inherent sadness in all that in that we know that she is she still has a nostalgia for it. You know, the yeah. fact that she keeps that owl as a pet, that we know that she still holds feelings for Dr. Manhattan. And also it appears for for a night owl, you know, the way that she at least cares for him enough to consider doing, you know, what she can to help get him out of jail or wherever he is. Um. Yeah, and, but she keep. But what do you think about that metaphor of keeping him in the cage? And there's yeah. also two other. There's two shots in this episode. One is when she quickly visits Judd, Judd's wife, which we only hear about when she sees Angela. But she's framed in the doorway, and her eyes match her eyes up. Are, 
and it like looks a mask. yeah, and it looks yeah. just yep. but it looks like Night Owl. And then yep. when she meets with Angela and actually talks about when she went to Judd's and found out about the 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 closet. Uh, when Angela leaves, we then get a shot of her framed in those night owl glasses, those night vision glasses that Angela's yep. been wearing. Yeah. So it's like, this is like the, we see so much of Dr. Manhattan, but really there's this undercurrent, undercurrent and presence of night owl that she's kind yeah. of like actively ignoring. And also perhaps just of her own. Uh, connection to her past, you know, that no yeah. matter, you know, no matter what she tries, it's like it follows her, right? That this ah, yeah. being a mass vigilante kind of is a part of her no matter what. And I like that. And it's kind of sad in the sense that, you know, she is, she, we, we kind of learned that her ability to draw any kind of sexual pleasure is all tied to this stuff, you know, mm. from from having ha- having sex with uh is it with Petey that she goes into bed with him but he yeah. but he's got to be wearing the mask she has that um big blue, huge dildo. blue dildo and yeah. she has uh, the 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 magazine cover of her and Dr. Manhattan she has that painting in her room uh of the Warhol kind of a Warhol painting of of the crime busters so all of those things are kind of like what she needs to to hold on to, to just have some, some, you know, semblance of joy in her life. And I remember back in the day when the novel came out that Dr. Manhattan himself had been described as being kind of, kind of impotent in the sense that he has lost all disinterest. He's lost all interest in humanity, that humanity is as, as significant to him as a, as a gnat would be to a human being. And remember that famous, uh, there's the famous scene in the comic where he's like multiple versions of him are having sex with her while he's in the room next door working on a physics project. Right. She thinks she's, she thinks she's having sex with him, but then all of a sudden he has made multiple copies and she's like, what's going on? And then she realizes that actually he's busy working. So yeah, I mean that, like she had, uh, she longs for, for this, uh, um, uh, you know, whatever pleasure or, or, or semblance of, of joy is all, tied to this superhero stuff and yeah. this, this uh, masked Avenger stuff. Taking a little break to remind you again about our presenting sponsor, cufflinks.com. And I want to take this break right now to thank cufflinks.com for a year of working with us, being our presenting sponsor of all our podcasts, podcast Winterfell, Westworld Theory Cast. Bachelor in Paradise, Mindhunter, Veronica Mars. Man, everything we do, cufflinks.com is a part of. They're a great family-owned company. They've grown. We've grown. They've supported us, and we want you to support them. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use all their awesome codes. They want you to save. And if you have any questions, you have an event coming up, cufflinks.com will help you out. Reach out. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use code Disney plus all month long, 20% off. Ox and Bull from the 7th to the 11th of November, 20% off. Do it. Go to cufflinks.com. Thank you, cufflinks. 
One of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends. And one of those friends is Andy. You may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts. And Andy and his wife, Claire, are looking to adopt. So if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney, and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at andrewandclaireadopt at gmail.com. Thanks. You know, the, the entire episode is framed around the joke, which follows a similar episode in the original book where uh, Rorschach is telling a therapist the joke about uh, a joke about a, a man who is uh, very sad. And this, it's called the Pagliacci joke in the in the original book. So here we have her telling this joke that, um, you know, I, I did some reading and research online. And from what I found, you know, some, some people theorize that the joke is kind of about her. Yeah. Kind of becoming her own person, you know the the, mm-hmm. uh, the character of Lori had a yeah had a more peripheral role in the original book right. and kind of emulated in some ways the the, the typical girlfriend character. At like the, the end of this joke, Roberto, and you uh-huh. right, we're right on the same page here. Uh, I noted that on this rewatch that when she gets to the end and she says, and God says, you know, who are you? She says, I'm just I'm just a girl. Yeah, I'm. J- I'm not. I'm not anything special. Nothing special. And that's that is so interesting because, like you're saying, in the original comic, she she was kind of even forced into being a masked hero by her mother. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Her whole life, she had really no choices. She felt, and then to have this disinterest, but to to be the love interest of the most powerful being ever, but then for him to just not even care. Right. right. She was um, kind of always cast aside. Yeah. And lived for way. years in that, in that facility that they lived in for like, how many years was that? Wasn't it like five or 10 years or something yeah. that they lived in that? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting that. And so the, the joke ahead. in a way is kind of her, her taking control over all that, right. Saying yeah. now I'm, you know, n- not only am I, am I, uh, you know, God can send all these heroes to hell, but here I am to send God to hell. I'm like the one who see, who sees through all of it, yeah. um, and is able to, um, you know, and we, and we see it in the kind of the career and the life that she's chosen for herself to kind of try to do all this as a way to kind of have a more more meaningful control over her life because up until then it had all been kind of contingent on others, except when it comes to what she truly longs for. You know, when when we see that she is still very much it's kind of tragic tied to 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 that nostalgia for uh, her relationship with Dr. Manhattan and to some extent her relationship with Night Owl as well. What do you think about the ideas of superheroes, America, fandom, nostalgia? 
kind of, I saw a bit of, as I kind of got into it more, I saw kind of allusions to our own, our own culture now, which is obsessed with these superhero stories, the way that we even, I mean, look, Watchmen had Richard Nixon becoming president for so long, but it also involves some other kind of weird things. It's gotten weirder now with Robert Redford as president, but you know, we do have a reality TV host as president right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that there's a commentary being made here with this big blue dildo and how we're all kind of screwing ourselves with fandom and star Wars and our childhoods and never grow up and never let go And what that has to say also about what the show is saying about race and what people take serious in the world, right? Mm -hmm. What they act upon, what is true, and what is a constructed reality. Uh, So I don't know. I just saw some ideas in there, and I just started thinking about it. And I I know that there was a little story that um, I I read – an article, I think I mentioned this on the other show without where um, uh, the other writer here, uh, I'm forgetting her name right now, brought it up in the writer's room as a joke. Um, let's see, uh, Lila Bayak as a joke about the big blue dildo. And then Dame was like, no, put it in the show. Put it in there, yeah. And yep. I think that it, it, it does really – and then with also the way she opened – like it's like an, a YouTube unboxing. She opens it up. And there's like, ooh, look, there's the framed magazine cover. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. The, right, it's like some weird thing you would like want to collect. It's like a Funko Pop or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think there's just statements being made about that. By the way, the briefcase, um, the uh, the key code to get into it is 666. I like yes, that. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it does. It does kind of speak to this kind of artificial uh, sense of nostalgia and the way that it's so easy to just kind of capitalize with materials. Yeah, right. Um, and, and even this, it's a it's a copy of a. Co- you know what I mean? Like, yeah, Watchmen was a statement on that, and now it's so meta to make a new Watchmen. Right. And the uh, the you know kind of speaking of that created reality or or you know being in uh, entrapped in, 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 in that nostalgia, um, we had we got some I think very important insights in this episode um, regarding kind of the the state of uh, of just humanity with uh, under the understanding that a, that a creature like Doctor Manhattan would exist, right? Um, and we know, you know, back, back when the original book came out, there was this whole, like, there was a lot of talk about Dr. Manhattan being a God and that kind of stuff and what the implications of that were for humanity. But I'm wondering if part of what we're exploring here is many years later, especially when we have had the experience of a God among us who has left, uh, the creation of these phone booths. And is this, is this, you know, the, the, the phone booth to call Dr. Manhattan and Mars, is this some kind of a, a religion that has emerged around Dr. Manhattan? Is this, you know, in, in a world where you actually do have a real God that has left you behind? 
Um, do we do we pray to our God through a phone booth, and do we has a religion come out of that? And is that being is that yet another form of kind of exploiting the superhero, uh, the mass vigilante idea? Uh, somebody came around and created a religion to kind of uh, uh, you know exploit that and use it. I doubt Doctor Manhattan had anything to do with the creation of these phone booths my guess is that somebody else it was it's true industry so it was late right. it, it was this lady true the lady okay that right. did and then there has you know there is a connection there to ozymandias she sure. purchased his company but there's some prior connection um so i think that the idea also that there's a religion around dr manhattan I could see that. That's, I mean, I think I mentioned that at some point. It's like you have one about Rorschach. I mean, for God's sake, the guy is, right. can do anything. You think, right. you know, that'd be the first thing. I was surprised actually when, if I rem- was there anything like that in the comic? There I was a recall, group, I don't recall. I don't I recall there, there being was anything a, like that. I thought there was like a reference to a group of people, and there there is a name for them. It's f- not fundamental. It was something with an I can't remember right now. Yeah, but there was some reference to kind of a at least, um, and it may be that they actually I mean, I, took on his apathy. Yeah. Okay. Because I do remember, I do remember the scenes where Doctor Manhattan appear, shows up in Vietnam, and uh, the Kong, the Viet Cong folks are yeah, like kneeling bow, in front yes. of him. They start bowing in front of him. So it makes you think if maybe it was Angela was born there. Is there some connect? You know what I mean? Maybe. Like a, yeah. a, a worshiping yeah. of Doctor Manhattan is? Are we going to find out through Who her knows? about that? Yeah, but I, I like know. that idea. I mean, you'd like to, th- you'd think that in a world yeah. where something like that happened, there would be some kind of of a of a component to that, but who knows? Yeah. So anyway, I, just, I found that interesting with the whole phone booth, and thing. also this whole millennium clock. They show this when they're flying. They say, "Look out the window," yeah. and there's this huge millennial clock, and that's they. And then he mentions Lady True. That's when we get the first mention of her um, by Petey, and then there's also another strange obelisk looking it almost looks like um the tower the uh tower in washington yeah the, the washington monument the, the washington monument and then so which is egyptian yeah which is egyptian which vite loved the egyptian stuff ozymandias yeah. right so that's kind is that connected to it it looks like it's it looked like some kind of almost transmission tower as did the millennium clock yeah um so that's kind of interesting. And, and if you look at that, I mean, if you're looking at that from above, right? If you were Doctor Manhattan looking from above, what would what the, the 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 tower that uh, Washington Monument with the ring around it would kind of look like the logo of this, of Doctor Manhattan, the little symbol of the of the of the atom that he Whoa, uses. So I don't know damn, if, if, if it's Roberto. some kind of a way to try to communicate with him or something. I don't Man, know. And you 3D'd that in your own 3D. mind. <laughs> Wow! So who knows, man? Uh, we're st- we're playing chess. Roberto's playing three dimensional chess, man. <laughs> I like it. You're right, though. You're absolutely right because it would it would look like a yeah. circle with a, yep. something in with the, the middle, right? Which yeah. is kind of a little bit like how his logo looks like. So yeah, I don't that know, atom, right? Yeah, that atom. Uh, I think it's supposed to be a hydrogen atom. That's awesome. So yeah. Um. So then you know the last kind of 
piece about this episode is that we we got some interesting revelations about our our word uh, about our lord in the in the estate, mm-hmm. which uh, I I guess we have confirmation now that he's Adrian Vite. But there's a part of me that's wondering if there's there's a this is somebody who thinks he's Adrian Vite and not the real Adrian Vite. I don't know. Uh, I guess again, it's part of this whole mystery. But you know, we had discussed in the last time we talked that the, the, the we are seeing his timeline is separate from whatever else is going on in the show, and that we are seeing the passage of time. And I think it was interesting to see note that in the first episode, he celebrates his first anniversary, and I I think that means that that's the first anniversary of him being in this space, which appears to be some kind of a prison for him. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I don't think that this is a spoiler to say this, but Damon Lindelof did confirm um, that he they there was a little bit of an interview and in talking about uh, Vite. Not any. The only thing he confirmed is that it, he is being held prisoner in some way. Right. In some way, so if which we can thinking, figure out by what we're watching. Well, what what I think is interesting is in his, you know, it's almost like he's going through the stages, through stages of of denial and mourning yeah. and stuff like that. Like at first, he's like, okay, you know, I, I can see, I can see the logic of somebody, you know, who maybe has been imprisoned in this way. The first time around, you know, during that first year, it was kind of like acceptance, right? Like, I'm just going to explore my art and my meditation and I'm Mm going to write this play. But by the (laughs) second year, he's kind of a little more like, okay, I'm kind of getting starting to get bored. I did some genetic manipulation. I created some clones. I did my play. Now what? By the third year, he's now trying to get out of the place. And so in this, you know, he's got catapults and and, uh, and building spacesuits and uh, running into this warden uh, when he, you know, he he goes and hunts some some buffalo uh, to try to make his his suit warmer. So there's this whole idea that uh, that he is now kind of so, so so by by year three he's ready to get out of there. So it'll be interesting to see if this then catches up to the events of the show or if this is farther in the past. Uh, we don't know. Um, but uh, I, I, and, and then there's all this, you know, repeated imagery that has to do with the Black Freighter stuff mm-hmm. in the Ozymandias scenes. You know, we see the the flag this time around. We had, you know, so I had read somebody who said that, uh, you know, a few weeks back or last week when he had disposed of the of the of the body of Mr. Phillips, who had who who uh, the, the one clone who, that was burnt during the play. And he had told the other clones to, you know, store him away with the others. Um, that maybe he, maybe his plan is to create a kind of raft out of the bodies, in the same way that the story of the Black Freighter had something to do with the raft, or that somehow the bodies are going to be part of his ticket to get out of. of I think that's what he raft. made. That's what he made the outfit out of. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So. Uh, uh, so yeah, so that, so all, all of these pieces, um, are starting to kind of give us a bit of a clearer picture, uh, and where this prison could be, you know, uh, we know that it, it appears to be somewhere where outside of his immediate environment is very cold, uh, uh, it cold enough to free somebody to, uh, you know, to, to, to be, to, to, to then be able to be shattered. Yeah. Uh, so could he be in Mars uh, somewhere there with Dr. Manhattan? Could he be in another dimension? Or, you know, I, at first I thought, well, maybe he's in the Arctic because that's where his base was in the original book. Yeah. But 
but given that uh, how frozen that body came uh, re- returned, um, it looks like he's in a in, in a different place, uh, much more treacherous than that. Yeah. And then this game warden, you know, it's funny the the first thing that came to mind when I heard about the when I saw this game warden was the the character in, in the original book we had the island where the squid was being developed and the writer of the black freighter comic books was one of the people who was there kind of helping shape the narrative that the psychic component of the squid was going to uh to be involved with and he sketched out he he drew the the kind of the uh, the design for the squid um, so at first I thought maybe it, it maybe we're at the island again, and somehow this is the uh, this is a connection to that. But all of those characters were killed by Ozymandias, so I'm not really sure who the game warden would be. But uh, but yeah, it, it, I'm looking forward to seeing how that uh, f- further develops down the down the road for who appears to be now Ozymandias. Yeah, I want to first off say that your idea of the um, kind of comparison between or the mirror of the Black Freighter story, which was all about the guy using the bot, the first part of it, all about the guy using the bodies, right? And that's kind of the metaphor. Yeah, to escape. Yeah. To escape. Yep. Yep. And and what eventually happens. And with this, him using the bodies to try to escape, it's this, you're right. It's this. And then we get the pirate stuff. So I like your idea too that it's not really him and that yeah, maybe I don't know. he's a clone too. I think to also if he's in prison, maybe he imprisoned himself. Maybe. You know? Um and uh, maybe this is a way he ha- like his clone has to get him out. If his clone can get out, then it's the clone has succeeded in so- like it's a test in some way. I don't know. I'm just spitballing know. it here. But I like mean, uh, we, we there, there is this, you know. He, we know that that he has been reported missing. He's declared dead by the time that the events mm-hmm. of the series outside of where he's at has happened. Uh, I've heard some theories that maybe Manhattan put in there because he was a liability if yeah. if, if if the truth were to get out. But since he was the one who developed the plan in the first place, I I don't know. Yeah, and why would it happen so many years after? Yeah, right? and why? Yeah, because so, we oh, we know that. After the events of the comic in this world, right, according to some Pedopedia stuff, so he he lived freely, but he lost his company because the right. technology the was recalled. Technology this. investments did not. So it did, so was it? Did he fight? Did he come up with another plan, or was he about to strike out, or did he get into know. a fight with Doctor Manhattan? Or and Manhattan? I mean, Manhattan from all from everything I can tell, he has not returned to Earth since the events yeah, of the book. Of. So why he would then find that it was necessary to to uh imprison him plus we know that manhattan has like zero feelings towards humanity he doesn't care what happens on on earth i mean he's just kind of in his living in his own you know discovery of the universe or whatever well that Uh, was where he was at that point we don't know what events may he may feel it's important enough for him to intervene for him him to intervene. Or, I mean, there is the whole idea that I have to mention in every episode, which is that this whole entire thing is just a thing that Dr. Manhattan created and maybe (laughs) it's just a construct. Yeah. And I also, I, I have two other things about, um, the game warden. 
look to me just in pausing it and also the way the letter was signed, which it was signed, your humble servant, the game warden. So and, he may be just another one of yeah, them. Yeah, I think it's clones. another Phillips. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I think he is. And I because and the way he challenges him and it's like a game. You know, yeah. he's the game warden. The game is the game, the buffalo, but also it's a game. Right. Right. This is part of his game. Maybe. Maybe he is creating it in his. Maybe he's in a place. Maybe he's asleep somewhere, and this whole thing is in his mind, and he's just working through. Because remember, he used to in the comic, right? He'd meditate and work he's, through right. every aspect of it. Right. So maybe we're in his. What do they call uh, from Sherlock Holmes? His mind it's palace, mind temple. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what we're inside of. Yeah. And and he's just gonna wake up. The sh- the story's gonna end. His eyes will open and we'll find out that he's in like some apartment somewhere and he gets up and he says, it's time to begin. Yeah. You know, the other piece that I was thinking too, is that maybe this is, this is like a, a, an insane asylum for the rich, right? Mm, (laughs) Like let him just kind of, you know, play and and have his fun because he's gone kind of crazy because he, he is acting kind of crazy. Yeah. Maybe he, Uh, maybe he just kind of lost it. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now I will Drew, also Drew maybe figured. Well, uh, I took everything he's got. Mm-hmm. Let me just you know give him at least a decent place for him to kind of live out his days. That's a great. Yeah, it could be that Lady True put him there, and that's the yeah. whole takeover and all that. And who is she, by the way? Is that his daughter or something? Or we have so many familiar relationships know. here. Did yeah. he create her? Is she a clone run amok? Um, okay, but one thing I do have to add is that not enough people are saying that this is a flash forward. So I have to add, it could totally be a flash forward. And the reason he's there is because of the result of what we see in our story. I just have to That's mention. true. That, that's a possibility <laughs> as well. But regardless, whether it's before or after, time is moving yeah. differently in his part of the story. We're seeing it. Yeah. We're, yep. Yeah. So that's interesting. That's some good stuff there. There was one, what other... Um, let me see. There was one other thing I thought I had about um, about that. No, I think those were the two things that I wanted okay. to mention. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, cool. I, I pretty much have covered everything that kind of resonated with me. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I had a little bit of news. We didn't yeah. do it in the beginning, but I'll do it uh, real quick. Um First off, I'll put in the show notes another um, 25 years later from Brian. Uh about some really good theories uh, that I like this week. Uh, There was an obituary that had been going around bringing attention again to the Tulsa massacre. There was a woman, Olivia Hooker, who had just passed away, and she was one of the oldest survivors of it. Uh Uh, So it's interesting now that we see in our own culture, people are paying attention to this now. Right. Right? Good job, Damon. Um, there was a good article from Vox going into the whole dildo thing and kind of talking a little bit about what I was saying. It kind of gave me a little, informed me a little bit about the ideas of fandom and what it means for her to be nostalgic for the superhero time and wearing the mask and all that. Um, there are a couple more Pedia entries. Go check mm-hmm. them out. It looks like they're doing three a week now. Now, I had an idea. I don't know if I'm going to do this, Roberto. I tried doing one. They're pretty long. But I had an idea to like read them out uh, just as kind of like almost an audio book type thing. But I don't know if I'm going to do it. That's a lot of reading. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can go read it, people. Sure. Um, 
I also wanted to mention that Damon is back podcasting. Um, yeah, I think they're going to do like three episodes yes. throughout the season. Yep, and and his co-host, I think his name is Craig Mizan. He, he was the writer of Chernobyl, um, and he wrote a couple other things. I think he's actually, uh, it was just announced he's working on something else. But it was a great episode. If you get a chance to listen to it, everybody listen to it because Damon goes right into a lot of the stuff you talked about, his inspiration for what he was reading, what made him want to do this story that HBO approached him like three times to do it. Um, and one thing I did want to talk about is he talks about the origin of the Refredations, right? And yep. what he says is that there was an actual case when Johnny Cochran brought a class action against peop- against I think the city of Tulsa for this massacre, and they lost. It was thrown out on standing, which I'm not a lawyer, but I think that means that what the way he explained it is that they couldn't prove that the people were directly affected by it this okay. many generations later. Okay, kind of almost like a statute of limitations kind of thing. I guess so, yeah. And that what the way he explains it, that in this Watchmen world, he the way Damon says is kind of funny too, because he's like, well, you could imagine, so he's not making it like canon, but that in this world, I think he says like the Supreme Court was going to side and give everyone reparations, but what they did, they came to like a kind of mixed settlement that if you were an African American in currently living in America through those DNA tests would prove that you were related to someone that was affected by a tragedy or, or racial violence like the Tulsa massacre. And it could happen in other places in America too. You would, you could claim these reparations. Right. So that's the way I thought that was interesting. The way he explained it, that in their world, Johnny Cochran's lawsuit worked out. out, (laughs) Like who is, who really got, reparations johnny cochran did yeah yeah (laughs) so i think that that was kind of cool the way he talked about that um i also just wanted to give a shout out to the uh uh, watchman facebook group watchman hbo um this guy andre costa who was actually i was just talking to him as an old lost fan back in the day we were just chatting a little bit on the facebook about it but if you're uh on facebook i like the groups and um, this is a good one, and he's good admin over there. He created it, and it's a fun group. And um, I've been learning a little bit about memes and things, which I'm an old man, so it's it's all new to me. But there are some <laughs> good theories and people sharing other podcasts and, and YouTube shows they're doing. So um, that's, uh, that's a good thing. So shout out to them, and I'll put a link to that in our show notes. And uh, we have a little bit of a feedback. Do you want to get to that? Sure. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Do you want me to read the first one or? Sure. Yeah. So Justin writes saying in the official Watchmen podcast, Lindelof says that the protagonist is solving for race. Your main character solving a process is always interesting, but this one is as ambitious as ambitious as it's get as it gets. Gotta give the man his due. They will explore this problem through the investigation of Judd's murder. This lets them explore societal and philosophical issues and give resolution to the murder so no one can call bullshit on unresolved plot threads and achieves the greater goal. If he is smart, 
and has learned his lesson, he realizes answers have to be given to the basic threats he uses to explore greater aspects. When you ask people to walk down a road to see what's at the end, but the end isn't as important as what they see on the journey down the road, you still have to give them something at the end or they will feel betrayed. Um, and and I, I think this kind of speaks to previous Lindelof attempts as well. I think a lot of people felt, for example, that with Lost, the finale wasn't as satisfying uh, as it could have been. So I think what Justin is alluding to here is that using Ju- the conclusion of the case of Judd's murder to be a satisfying end, even though it may not be where uh, the most important aspect mm, of the story yeah. It will be satisfying in and of its own, while along the way, we'll get to explore some more important topics. Yes, this is a very astute observation. This is Justin Thomas, who was my first co-host of, uh, on the initial reaction this season. You can check him out at Top Shelf Fandom. And um, he's getting into the show, and I was he. Uh, if you had heard that initial reaction, you know he was kind of going back. Hey, man, I'm going to see what. Ha-. But now he's fully in. He's doing videos on it, and he's kind of exploring the process. And I was happy to get this feedback because I I like the way Justin looks at it, and that's a really cool way of looking at it, that. You're right. Like in Lost. People got involved with the mythologies and the world building aspects. And when the whole idea of like, how could they time travel? What was the island? When that wasn't given to them, Mm -hmm. right? They were not as satisfied with the character resolutions. I was. I thought it was brilliant. In The Leftovers, Damon made it out from the beginning. You're never going to find out what happened. So we kind of let go of that and we he could was fully – He was very clear up front yes. that this is not about solving the mystery. Exactly. There about, was no mystery. Like he was, was like, yeah, there's it was no – It was about how are these yep. people being affected by this event. We're yeah. not going to solve it. We're going to just get, get there. But, but that was very clear up front. Yeah, and there was nothing else in The Leftovers except for relationships. But in this, where you have the mythological elements again, Justin makes a great point. It's really good to have this grounding murder. We can, and that's why it kind of inspired me to start it out the podcast the way we did, is because I think that that does put us on a good footing of a classic narrative. Yeah, and it and it it also follows, you know, what the original book did, right? Which was the murder yeah. was a framing device. We still got a conclusion to that story, but along the way, there was so many other aspects that we learned about kind of this deconstruction of the heroes that Alan Moore was attempting to do with the original work. Definitely, here we're doing kind of this race exploration and race relations, and I'm kind of seeing this in the context of this while getting to the bottom of what happened in this particular murder case with Judd. Yeah. And as for solving for race, good luck, Damon. Um, but, <laughs> but he said that in the podcast too. He's like, yeah, a lot of, well, a lot of, a, a lot of questions that I don't have answers for. And that kind of, in a sense, that is where, where people are. If someone is expecting at the end of it for Damon to solve uh, racial tensions throughout humans. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no, and, and and you know it should be a collaborative process. Yes, uh, of we, course. More, more than just uh, <laughs> the white class, guy figuring it out. The white guy figuring it out. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's brilliant. All right. Well, speaking of white guys, we got an email from John. Uh, John <laughs> but hey, he's, a, he, he's serving the public. Um, doesn't the Millennium Clock look a lot more like a device or something? I think it's all part of a plan using Adrian Veidt Manhattan technology to either transport or free Veidt. Another possibility is the 7th Calvary is a red herring. An existential threat is being created to bring Veidt and Dr. Manhattan together in Tulsa. Maybe the Millennium Clock will be used to kill them both. With no Manhattan or Veidt, the worst aspects of the world can be unleashed again. Now, the Millennium Clock... Damn, John. The Millennium Clock... I guess we can we can kind of use this as a springboard to talk about the trailer for next week because in the trailer they show this contraption that Lady True describes as the first wonder of the new world. Uh, and is that part of the Millennium Clock or is that a completely different piece? Um, I was just curious to kind of learn more about what the uh, you know the devices and in the, in the trailer. The uh, true disc, uh, um, describes it as uh, the first wonder of the new world. So does it have somehow something to do with uh, her own vision for the future of humanity? Um, yeah, I thought the trailer was awesome, man. And I don't watch trailers. <laughs> it's yeah, the first yeah. trailer I've watched this season for this show. Um, I loved it. I thought that was the that was the thing that we saw while they were dro- right. going on the plane definitely right. there's something flying in the air that looks like it would have picked up Will's car the car yes, that Will definitely. was in definitely right? definitely looks like a like some kind of a hovering hovercraft mm-hmm. device yep um and it even looked like like chain was hanging down yeah, off of it got, or something it, it looks like it has a magnet hanging yeah. from like like a, like a round thing hanging from underneath it and she she says that this is, you know, like the first wonder of the new world. But then there's a part where she says to Angela, um, I want to give you your history or your, your, your legacy. Your legacy. Legacy is more than blood. And then there's mm-hmm. this tree and almost like cards pop up, like showing, I guess. It's like a, like a holographic family tree. Yeah. Very interesting. Is this... It just makes me think with Vite and the cloning and all this kind of stuff, are they what what could that be? I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe she's picking up on some because Vite with the understanding from the PDPedia stuff was that Vite had this whole idea of kind of now that that we have brought humanity together with his big plan, he was going to kind of move society forward with millennium initiative. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's called the millennium clock and, and his company, the the products that he was going to sell was all was all going to be called millennium by Vite kind of thing. I don't know if it has something to do with that. I'm guessing it does. So maybe true is taking kind of picking up where Vite left off. And maybe at the time when Vite tried to make all this technology, this advancements in technology happen, People were not ready for it, but now that it's been you know thirty years or so, now but maybe now this is the time to start moving forward with some of these initiatives Vite had, and that's what True is trying to to do. Is is Lady True Vite? 
No, but Lady True. No, but I was. I'm just like oh, oh. just as a as a theory. Uh, like as a theory. I don't know. I you know, mean, I, there's this separation, and like she bought his company, but now you're making me. You're you're reminding me of all this, and now she's and you know, yeah, and like is so seeing through what he started because you're seeing right. through yeah. what he started. That was part of the whole time. downfall of the. Te- he was gonna bring this new thing, but then he couldn't with the company. And I'm starting to remember all those so, little. Uh, Added so facts Vi- there. Vi- Vite maybe got a little too overconfident, and so his own plan kind of led to the f- downfall of his company. But now Lady True acquires all this stuff and then decides, okay, I'm going to sit on this until people are ready to accept all this stuff, and then maybe try to kind of build build it up now, thirty years later. Is so that kind of a? Uh, is that in a sense almost like the false? I see, like allude to like to the false assassination in the comic. He pretends to fall only to kind of rise again, and you know, with more power. I don't know, and um, like cl- true and cleaner now, and he can kind of work through her. Yeah, maybe um, maybe the reason he's trying to escape is to take credit for all of this stuff now that somebody else is is taking credit for it. Well, yeah, that goes back to me thinking, and though she was so weird too, I, I know. Maybe it like a, like Crookshanks and Phillips, like a clonish. I don't know. It seemed you know he is the puppet master, right? That was or, interesting. Yeah, I, it, I like um yeah. I like though John's idea here. That a plan to maybe she's trying to draw them in. I don't know. I mean, and, and, and kill them, and, take and then, the big guys by out. Killing, by killing them, do what would that do? Because here it says, you know, what will unleashing the world, the worst aspects of humanity, uh, lead to? Right? I mean, what would be what would be the point of? Of of doing away with Manhattan and Vite, um, I don't know. We got to ask John. Yeah, I mean, may, yeah, I guess <laughs> we got to ask him. Yeah, unless it's just you know we're just thinking of her as some kind of you know ultimate evil or something like that. With a but but I I, I think she would have a more defined plan, and in the way she refers to this as the first wonder of the new world, it's like she's trying to shape the world. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of, maybe like, like this idea of evolving humanity or moving into a new world that she's somehow getting the world ready for whatever comes next. And wasn't so, that what they called Doctor Manhattan? Don't we remember that in the comic? Like that. he was the first wonder of the new age, I re- or I, I something like that. He, I remember that there being a quote being something like, yeah, you know, we found God and he's an American or something like that. But I don't don't recall him being the the first wonder of a new world, but maybe, maybe it's a quote that refers to that. Yeah. All right. Well, we have one font. Thank you, John, for that feedback, brother. We appreciate it. A patron, friend, podcast or two, been on some shows. That's right. Um, And we have our last piece of feedback from Mr. DJ Tim Hinesworth. Did you notice that there are zero electric devices where Ozzy is? Everything is mechanical. I really think he's in a prison, a construct Dr. Manhattan created. Since Doctor is away, Ozzy is left trying to figure a way out. It's got to be some construct of warp reality. The clones are the only puzzling piece. They seem like they take an enormous amount of resources to make. That's true. Where, yeah. why that's an interesting point, DJ. We're all taught, we're all so obsessed that he's that there's clones there, but like, 
Why are they there? Did are they, he make like you said? Are they, are they his creation? Are yeah, they right. Were they there, there already? Are they yeah. are they a part of the construct? Um, because you, like when you were talking before, you were talking. I like the way you're going through. Like the first year, oh, he made the because he did do all these genetic experiments. That was a big mm-hmm. part of his storyline, resulting in this freaking squid. Right. Um, but uh, it's like, why are they? You know, they're there at the game ward. It does seem it's like a game. That's why I start to think now. I'm kind of hept on this idea that this is all happening inside his brain, and this is him basically puzzling it out. It, it through metaphor and through representation of the re of reality. And this is the way he kind of works through the puzzle of whatever he's trying to solve. And right. I still go back to the, the um, Calvary gathering those batteries. And, and also they said that uh, last episode, Aaron mentioned it. Uh, they say that the Russians are trying to build an intrinsic field generator. There was someone on Twitter, actually, who replied to, I think, our podcast Winterfell account. I don't have it in front of me right now, but thank okay. you by saying that was what created Dr. Manhattan. The intrinsic field generator. That That's that's how he was made. Yeah. Yep. So if the Russians are trying – just the idea that was in the show, the idea was in the show that someone's trying to create something, which was what created Dr. Manhattan. Right. Lends me to believe that at some part of this show, either it's with these cl- – maybe Man is there because – Crookshanks and Phillips, I think, are representational of Dr. Manhattan and like they were in the play and his first girlfriend who died of cancer. Right. And I think you had mentioned that in our first episode. So I don't know. This whole thing is starting to make me feel like what that what it's just like a puzzle that is kind of going on in his mind. Um, and maybe yeah. there, he is trying to basically solve Dr. Manhattan, how to get him. Like if he kind of the metaphors, if he can escape from here, he can get him or because he or, already or, did. Or maybe, maybe whatever, whatever he did to try to get to Dr. Manhattan led to him being trapped in this thing. Oh, and that's so, interesting. You know, so maybe this is, this is part of a plan gone awry in his quest to ah, get Dr. Manhattan. And that's why, okay. So something, there's a whole part of the story we missed, right? Like, because the, obviously Perhaps. there is, right. But, um, it's, it's interesting because remember in the comic, he was able to block Dr. Manhattan's abilities. Remember that Dr. Manhattan always said he couldn't see past the event. Right. Because he had, he was using the, the, the Manhattan technology to block his ability to yeah. look into the future. So is, is that also somehow playing into what we're seeing? I don't know. Interesting we'll stuff. See. All right. Well, wow. We covered a lot of ground tonight, man. We did, although I, I I think I end up with more questions than answers. <laughs> but that's, oh, that's okay. good. Yeah, that's good, and that's um, that's uh, that's that's uh, something that Damon actually talked about on the uh, on the podcast about people kind of having more questions about it, and uh, I think that that's kind of cool. Um, actually, his quote was, "You have to make the show that you want to see, but I also want everyone to love it and love me." 
So that's a nice little quote there from that Damon. That is nice, yeah. So we hope you love us and the podcast. It's been fantastic talking about this episode this week. I will be back on Sunday. I was going to have Hacks Dogma on, but my actual standing invitation is always to Heath Solo, and he is available, so it might be the only time he gets to talk about Watchmen with me this season. So he's going to come on. We're going to flip Hacks Dogma to episode seven, because after Hacks, I got two other guests, and I'll try to get guests going on to the end of it, because I'm having so much fun doing it. But um, Roberto, do you have any final words for tonight? No, other than thanks again for uh, everybody for listening. Thank you, Axel, for having me, and we'll continue to uh, plow through this. Uh, I can't believe we're already a third of the way through this season. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what comes next. Yeah! Wow! It keeps on moving. Until yeah. next time, peace out. I just want to thank you all for downloading and listening. And I do want to tell you that you can help support us by going to patreon.com slash DVR. If you're a fan of our podcast, you can get everything we do on your own RSS feed. You put it right into your app and you get it. All the podcasts ad free. You get old lost mythos theory cast episode, the film list. Man, we got tons of special episodes that we're always doing and throwing on the uh, Patreon. So help support us. Go to patreon.com slash DVR today and become a patron for as little as like, what, three bucks a month, and you'll get like seven podcasts a week. That's a pretty good deal. Go to patreon.com slash DVR today.